In this episode of STEMiverse, Marcus and I talk with Tim Heinecker. Tim is a former physical education teacher and has been wondering about the art and practice of student engagement. In fact, he founded the Student Engagement Institute based in Sydney, Australia to explore what it takes to help students become passionate learners. Tim is the author of Student Engagement, How to Inspire and Motivate Every Child, and offers professional education experiences for teachers that want to make a difference in the lives of children. Tim's book and approach in teaching dominates our discussion, which is full of practical ideas for turning any classroom into a place where children want to be. This is Temiverse, Episode 7. Welcome to STEMiverse, the podcast that helps educators become awesome at teaching STEM, be it at home or in the classroom. I am Peter Dalmaris, and with my co-host, Marcus Sharpe, our mission is to bring you the experiences of educators, students, and stakeholders who strive every day to make the teaching and learning of science, technology, engineering, mathematics, and art better. Hey, Tim, uh, thank you for joining us today. Uh, it's Welcome. Peter with Marcus here in the uh, Stemiverse studio. That's mm-hmm. called a studio, right? Sure. <laughs> and we're very excited uh, to have you, Tim, on because um, we want to explore your work as a teacher in the past. And you spent a lot of years as a teacher, but now you are independent. You've got your own company. Uh, you recently published uh, a new book called Student Engagement, How to Inspire and Motivate Every Child. So we'd like to talk about that and take your, um, put all that in the context of STEM education. So to get started, how about you introduce yourself and tell us a bit about you. Awesome. Well, thanks, Peter. Thanks, Marcus. Thanks for having me. Um, it's, it's great to be here. I'm actually, I've got a confession. I'm a bit nervous because Oh, I don't know about the sort of the technology side of things. I call myself a selective Luddite because, you know, technology never seems to work for me, but I like the stuff that I like and I steer away from the other stuff. But you'll help me help guide me through all that sort of stuff. I Absolutely. Think, as we go. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so, so I'm, I'm Tim and I've been teaching uh, over, for over 20 years and I've been really, really lucky, lucky because I got to teach originally as a high school PE teacher. But then I did that for uh, 10 odd years and then I went and uh, did some stuff at, at sort of tertiary level and then I went back and did some stuff now with primary schools and, and infants. So I've got the advantage of having seen education from you know, a really wide um, viewpoint and I'm, as I said, I'm now, I've, I've started my company which is the Student Engagement Institute and our idea is to help teachers and parents to make the best childhoods possible for their kids because they deserve it. They, they deserve a childhood that's just filled with magic and then, you know, it propels them to this, a future that's really just untold. And that's about me in a nutshell. That's awesome. Uh, why did you think it was important to launch the Institute? Uh, was there something missing, supposing the education segment, um, sec- uh, market perhaps? Yeah. The, look, at many reasons. The main one, was I was working in a school here in southwest Sydney and I was employed there because all in brawls were quite regular and uh, the kids were, were a lot of them were very disengaged. Um, school was seen as sort of a place to hang rather than a place to actually, you know, learn and grow and develop. And they had um, about 10%, or so, I suppose, when they graduated, went on to university. And so I got employed there as the, the person to try to sort of make schooling a bit more relevant for them. And so we, we did a whole range of different things. Really lucky because it had a very supportive uh, principal and executive team and, and teachers. And within the space of a couple of years, we went from that situation where, you know, wasn't really a happy place towards then having kids really doing some amazing things, you know, winning awards and uh, just happiness. And, you know, the fighting was just non-existent anymore. And we had 45% then we're off to university, which granted is still below, you know, average, but it was such a monumental shift in such a short amount of time. And I mean, the kids who weren't going off to university then were also going off, 
and they were doing, you know, apprenticeships. And so they were actually, you know, going from a space that originally was really quite tough and I suppose really um, quite depressing in that there was sort of this learned helplessness. Um, but just by making a few um, tweaks and changes, we were able to really change things around. And I sat back and I said to myself, hey, this is pretty cool. I wonder if there's some sort of formula or some sort of technique that we're using here that we can then replicate in other schools. And it didn't have to be schools that were, you know, in that sort of a state where things are really quite dire. But even, you know, just everyday run-of-the-mill schools right through to your, you know, private schools that, you know, are, you know, quite high-functioning, I suppose is the best way to put it. Um, and it turned out that there was. It was actually, um, you know, like most things, uh, quite a formula behind it all that you can, you know, quite easily teach somebody and they can replicate and so that's sort of the, the reason behind it all, yeah. So we do got to ask, what was the formula? <laughs> you got to buy the bookmark. No. <laughs> I've got it in front no. of me. I've got it here. <laughs> Give it a short no, vision. <laughs> well, notes. <laughs> it's um, there's six things, and it took me a long time to figure this out. But there's six things that really make a big difference, and I'll I'll try and summarise because we haven't got it all day. I know, but um, it's I, I call it the new ABCs, and that's because it's A B C D. INS. I know we've skipped a few letters there, but it's just easy to remember, A, B, C, D, INS. So it's aesthetics, mm-hmm. belonging, cognitive willingness, dialogue, investment, and then systems. And when those six things work together, it creates a really quite amazing space. Um, when, when, you know, when you're really trying to, to work all of those things together at the same time, you go from a situation where kids can, you know, be a bit reluctant and a bit disengaged through to a space where they're just busting to be able to get into class because they're curious about what's coming next and, you know, what exciting stuff's going to happen for them. And it's not that they're forced to do it at all. It's that they actually willingly want to get involved because it is such an exciting place to be. Well, let's touch on those in the second part the sure. podcast. We want to explore you first as a person, right? <laughs> yes, yeah, sure. Go, Marcus. What makes Tim the man? Yes. So well, I guess let's, let's explore Tim. The first question, <laughs> I guess. Oh my goodness! Wait a For minute. For interrogation. <laughs> so I where did you get your training? Already. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so um, I'm shining well, the light at you. Sorry, say again. I'm shining the light in, uh, at you right now <laughs> for the interrogation. So, uh, where um, did you get your training? Uh, so I tr- started as a as a PE teacher, and I mean I come across a lot of PE teachers who move on and do a lot of other things on top of you know teaching how to play soccer or netball. Uh, I think it's sort of that that humanistic side to them, and that they're not uh, standing behind their desk or sitting in front of a whiteboard. They're actually in there and you know working with the kids. So I find that a lot. Um, I I went into teaching in the first place is because school for me was a place that was social, but I didn't really get the point of the whole academia. Uh, I mean, it was the best time because you had all your mates around you and there was no worries. Uh, you had to study every now and then, but, you know, you still didn't have, you know, to worry about a mortgage or you didn't have to worry about, you know, hey, mum packed your lunch and, you know, so it was a good time. But at the same time, it didn't – the whole sort of – I didn't – resonate with any of the sort of the, many, many of the teachers there's a couple of course that always stick in your mind and I'm sure you two have got teachers that you can recall that you know really made a big difference or on the flip side teachers that made a, a real negative impact too unfortunately so I, I I got into teaching because I just I didn't want kids who were you know a bit active and a bit sort of I don't know just not having to sit still and you know three bags full sort of thing I wanted them to realize that they were still valued and they still had stuff to contribute and that school was still a place for them. And, yeah, that's sort of how I started off. So that sort of followed me the whole way through with everything, that I don't want a kid to feel like they're ostracized or alienated. I want kids to be able to, no, no matter what their interests are or what their abilities are, or I want them to be able to know that they've got a place and that they matter. Were you able, as a PE teacher, were you able to convey that kind of approach and principle in your interaction with the students yeah definitely look my my biggest gripe is that you know that i don't know if you had this at school i'm, I'm sure you did uh stand stand on the line there and then we're going to choose teams yes. and 
I was always the last one picked, and I'm not 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 going for sympathy here, but, but it was, and I you knew it every time that I was, you know you're going to be the last one picked, and that's the irony is that I went into t- PE teaching you know because I didn't want kids to be that last one. It's funny the stuff that sticks around in your head, and um, you guys have got kids, so you know that kids come home, and I mean you hear snippets, but there's so much more that's going around in that mind that doesn't you know see the light of day. So, yeah, definitely that sort of stuff, simple stuff like that, just making sure that there was never, you know, let's pick teams. It was always, right, anyone with a birthday from January to June, you're on this side and July to, August, uh, July to December, you're on that side sort of thing. You know, there's easy ways of doing it without having to have this social pecking order thing happening all the time. So everybody got an opportunity. Yeah, exactly, right, exactly right. Won't one yeah. side be bigger than the other side by age? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that's, that's, a, that's a scientist technique. That's, that's coming. You're right. So, I read the Malcolm Gladwell book. Yeah. Always um, learning, see? So, yeah. that's what I'm going to do. If you're born in an odd month, one, that's one the way three. To do it. <laughs> I like it. See, there you go. I've learned something today. So, that was uh, in Sydney. Is that where you got your baptism of fire in education? Yeah. Yeah, I started off in in southwestern Sydney. So I started at a school in like Granville, and it was um, it was it was it was hectic. Um, and then I was lucky enough because then I, I I did my time there, and then I, I got a transfer to North Sydney Boys, which was the complete opposite. Um, so yeah, again, it's that wide variety of experience that I've been lucky enough to have. So how far and, back uh, in time are we going now? <laughs> um, well, I started teaching in '96. Was it 1996? Okay. Yeah, it would have been. Yeah, so 20, 20 years. Yeah. And then um, that's last yeah. century. Yeah. Yeah, last millennium. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's weird writing it down. You know, 1996 <laughs> just looks weird now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it is when you got kids who are in your class yeah. that are born in 2007. Yes, insane. I remember. Actually, that's funny because I remember. When you're a kid, you go, how old would I be when it's year 2000? Anyway, that's a whole other, <laughs> other story. <laughs> okay, Tim, so now I'm looking at your book here, and you've got, you've got your uh, six items in your meaningful strategies. Um, you've got aesthetics as number one. Then mm. you've got belonging and cognitive willingness and dialogue, investment, and systems. Now, think back in 1996 when you were a, a new teacher and you had that motivation behind you, as we said, to give everybody an opportunity. Which one of those do you think that came first to mind and then you implemented and you started seeing a difference in your students? I, it's hard to be able to sort of say which is the greater, and I like how you've worded it, which was first. And I think in that, in that sort of sense was the investment. And I've got to clarify it because when we think investment, we think about, you know, uh, bank accounts and we think about the stock market or we think about property markets. And there's a lot of talk in education, as you both know, you know, about Gonski funding and about, you know, there was national partnerships money and, the, you know, the public versus private and, you know, all this sort of stuff that's going on. I mean, at this very moment, even in America, we've got the, you know, charter schools versus and what, you know, what Trump's doing and who he's putting in. And so it's a, always a really contentious issue. And, the investment that I'm talking about, though, is is completely different, and it's one that governments can't take away. You know, through a, a change in, in governance, or it's not something that can ever be um, redistributed because it's an investment of a piece of you. It's an investment of what makes you tick, and it's so much more powerful than dollars and cents. An investment of your interests and your time. And your passion is something that nobody can ever take away, regardless of what policy might come in or might be abolished or whether it's Gonski this or gone, gone Gonski. Um, you, you can't take away a little piece of, of yourself and the investment that you make in, in a children's life. And it's as simple as you, you've probably seen, you know, some clips on YouTube of a teacher who's got a handshake that's different for every kid. Or it's as simple as just saying to, you know, little Johnny, how was soccer on the weekend or you know, to Jessica, how's how's mum? You know, she wasn't well last week, and those sort of things there are, are investing a piece of you and showing the kids that you're there and you're present and you care. Right. So that investment is from the teacher 
to the student. So the teacher makes the first move, shows that they've got, I suppose, an excess of time. And then, you know, kids probably realize uh, teacher's time is valuable. Now, when the teacher spends time with their student, the student uh, feels, uh, would it be the right word, perhaps elevated? We had our discussion yeah. with George uh, a couple of weeks ago, and another guest here, Stemcast, and his uh, idea of the the, the right approach in teaching would be for the teacher to elevate the student. So is, is that like a compatible idea here? Yeah, definitely. What you say is investment to yeah, absolutely. elevation yeah. of the student? Yeah, definitely. And look, the thing is with kids is they're so intuitive. Uh, you, you guys know that. They they know when you're there and when you're when you care. So when uh, when you were at the uh, at your PE lessons and the students were lined up and you basically gave an opportunity to everybody to be part of the team and to participate, you made a very subtle investment there. It wasn't so much your time, but I suppose you gave the students a, a context of equality so that they could elevate themselves instead of being at the back of yep. the team or the line to go to the front. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and sometimes it's, it's subtle enough that it's, it's not detectable right then and there. And the thing with kids, especially as they get into the teenage years, is they're so connected and they're connected with the social media and they're you know on phones and they're on computers. But the thing is, the connection is not necessarily as authentic as what we are craving. You know, we might put on our status that we're feeling really down or things aren't going very well, and we might get a couple of comments from people. But really, the best thing for a kid is to be able to hang out with someone who really cares, you know, whether it's kicking a soccer ball around or whether it's going and getting ice cream together and, you know, spending time together with that physical interaction. Because no matter how connected we might be digitally, we still... I mean, it's it's instinctual. It goes right back to you know days before before electricity, before we had color television, and that was that you know if we we weren't connecting to our group, that was a danger. That was a threat to our our longevity because you know we could easily be picked off by you know uh, uh, something that's going to be trying to eat us. So you know that's sort of something that's been ingrained upon us since you know the the age of, or the birth of time. Yeah, um, having said, having mentioned like the, the internet and social media and all that, it's probably even more important today because if you think about it, we spent a lot more time on electronic style communication, which means that our face-to-face, more like physical type communication is less than it was in the past. So we might as well make it better whenever we get the opportunity. And that's true, especially for children, because they really uh, hone on home onto those several cues that can they can see whether somebody's really interested or caring or not so uh, so it has a, a more deep impact if those interactions are not truthful and of course most kids tend to spend a lot of time at school so that's where a lot of problems begin or can be you know can be solved early mm. on yeah. yeah, I find it fascinating. And and look, I've got no evidence to back me up. But I mean, we know that we're in a time now where we've never had greater incidence of, you know, mental health and, and all this sort of stuff. But at the same time, I don't think in history we've ever been as disconnected from the village as what we are now. And I mean, I, I'm not saying that we can automatically draw parallels, but I, I don't know. I think there's sort of something that in that we need to sort of look a little bit further about the, the breakdown of that, you know, extended family where we lived with parents and grandparents and, um, you know, the way that we're feeling, you know, so disconnected from each other in society. So Yeah. Very interesting. Like, uh, let's stick with investment for a few more minutes. I just wanted to, to ask you about your take on STEM-style education and investment. Uh, I'm not sure how familiar you are with the topic, but I can briefly say that STEM education depends on the concept of mentoring, where you know, a lot of different concepts, uh, science, technology, uh, engineering, etc., are treated as one big topic. They are all interrelated when you're trying to build something. And the concept of ment- mentorship, where you've got uh, usually an older person who is there to help the learners, is very important. Uh, would you say that uh, in uh, that 
in STEM, in investment is actually treated in a way that is compatible with what you say in your book? Definitely, yeah. And look, it's interesting, isn't it? Because sometimes when we do stuff over again or do, do stuff new, which is STEM, we're taking it back to what it once once was. And, you know, whether you are a scientist or whether you are an engineer or a mathematician, or you don't do stuff alone. There's, It's funny, isn't it? And, I mean – the stuff that's happening within STEM in that way is just so much – it's so exciting because it's so much of where society and where, you know, corporate is at. Um, I, I sort of – I shake my head sometimes and, is, you know, you, got, you go to the end of the 12 or 13 years at school and you've got to sit this three-hour exam where you sit by yourself. Which you got a hand right? <laughs> what? <laughs> and, <Anyway. laughs> and 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 you don't you don't have any access to any sort of external, um, you know, anything at all. And I, I get the idea that we're testing whether kids can recall information, but when have you, Marcus or, or Pete, when have you ever had to be in a silo and come up with a solution by yourself without any help from someone else who might know, or you know? the wonderful you know resources available to you through technology oh, you know last time was when i did an exam so i mean you're spot on so you know mentoring and working together and you know problem solving and it, of course that's exactly where we need to be at you know i i love watching some of those things from you know pixar or from google you know how they all have this real sort of campus thing where they work together and everybody's sort of a, a big family who's all solving problems together and it's definitely you know the way of the future and should be what's happening in in all parts of schooling yeah. right now it also makes a much more interesting movie right yes. imagine a movie where <laughs> the, the heroine or the hero just you know does everything by themselves <laughs> that's right exactly right yeah spot on yeah so you mentioned aesthetics what do you do to change your classroom's aesthetics or is it even just limited to the classroom? Describe. Yeah. So, yeah. How did you do that, I guess, back at Granville to get the successes you said? Aesthetically. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I sort of I looked around at home and I thought, you know, we, we consider where a light sits or, you know, the sort of pictures we put on the wall or, you know, the candles we might have. and the, So I'm not just talking – we often think as teachers – we think about the visual. So, you know, we're displaying kids' work and we're making sure that things look neat and tidy and clean. But I, I sort of challenge people to think about, you know, all of the senses. How does, you know, the room smell? What's the light in, inside the room? And, you know, at different times of the day, is there, you know, light that's reflecting in and bouncing off whiteboards or bouncing off desks or simple things like, I mean, most classrooms have, you know, fluoros. And I've been, I've been in, in, I was in one school where we had 55 flickering fluoros. And it's as simple as just getting people, you know, getting the, the general assistant or whoever it is to be able to change that globe or change that starter. And it makes such a massive big difference. So, yeah, the, the thought was that often teachers can, you know, it, to their credit, they can be a bit of a martyr in that they just keep pressing on regardless and they, you know, they've, they have got to do this amazing job of taking 25 or more individuals with all their own story and taking them on a, on a similar journey together. And what's amazing is that a lot of the time it happens, <laughs> which, you know, is um, it's quite amazing. But at the same time, sometimes it helps to sit back and say, hey, what's some stuff here that could work a, a little bit better aesthetically, whether it's, you know, the noise that's coming in from the corridors as kids change, you know, from classroom to classroom easily fixed by putting, you know, things up on, on the walls or carpeting or whatever it might be, right through to the idea of, um, I don't know, you know, if planes or cars or things, how can we make sure that we just optimise the situation there in the same way as that you like to feel comfortable in, at home? So aesthetics uh, in, in your book and your strategies uh, has to do with the environment, right? Uh, it's not just about making it pretty, but making it comfortable, making it practical, safe, a, a place that you want to be at instead of running away, away from. Definitely. Yeah, yeah definitely. And, and so that school that I was mentioning before, some of the biggest gains that we got there when was when we had a look around and I went into the principal. We had a, had a kid who um, had a few learning difficulties and was getting suspended fairly regularly. Anyway, I went into the principal because I'd spoken to this kid and just asked him about home 
talking about investment again. But we, I asked him about home and he's like really passionate about looking after birds. At home he had four or five different types of birds. So I went to the principal and I said, look, we need chickens. And the principal put his head in his hands and he shook his, shook his head and he's like, what on earth do we need chickens for? And I said, well, because this kid, you know, he, I have a good feeling that he'll do a really good job of looking after them. Plus, we can take all of the, you know, the leftovers and put it on a, the herb garden and we can take the eggs and we can take it into the home economics classes or the, uh, the kids can cook with them. And there's just so many benefits from it. And to, to the credit of the principal, allowed us to be able to build chicken coop. The kit, and the, the year nine students built it um, with some help, of course. This is, this is your mentoring you're talking about. Um, and, they, you know, we got chickens and this kid didn't get suspended anymore because he had a purpose. He had a, a reason to be there. So he and was like uh, the, he was in charge of the chickens? Yeah, well, he, yeah, he was, it was just his responsibility. So he would collect the scraps from the cooking classes would take it out to the chooks and then return the eggs back to the cooking classes. It was that simple. And he felt he had a purpose. And, and you know, I was saying earlier about these sort of six elements. When the six elements work together, it creates this force multiplier effect. So we worked on the aesthetics of having a chicken coop there and a herb garden. But then at the same time, this kid felt like he belonged, which is, our, you know, the second, second point. Because we invested, he was invested in making sure that those chickens were working. And, you know, he, he went from, you know, a kid who was heading down a pretty bleak future to one who ended up finishing off year 12. And uh, so, and, and we just add belonging, right? And number mm-hmm. two in the list. And there's already a, a lot of power here. Just I think just these two things can make a huge difference in any classroom, pretty much. Like you could, you could probably stop here and have already affected positively a lot of people. Definitely, definitely. And, and look, you come back to the STEM, as, STEM stuff as well. You've got these kids who, you know, they, they tweak and they, you know, play with. I, I was at a school uh, just yesterday and a little kid had bought his um, Lego Technic set to school and he was putting it back together in the playground at, at recess. And he was able to tell me all about, you know, this piston does this and everything, you know, like uh, stuff that I don't know. But because he'd been there and built it himself – uh, you know, he was able to understand it really, you know, really quite intimately. And if if we're, you know, got this education where we're worried about our NAPLAN results or we're worried about, you know, reading, writing, and arithmetic, then we're alienating these kids who, you know, are going to grow up to be our engineers and going to be our mathematicians. So the idea that we can then make kids, make them, well, not make them, but they, they know that they belong, that there's part of something that's bigger than them, uh, is, is is extremely powerful. Uh, very true. Like talking about NAPLAN, uh, uh, it, it is fascinating. People worry about the kids' NAPLAN scores, but not about what the kids can actually do or make. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's just inc- incredible when I think about that. So I suppose let's move on to number three. And let's. Move I was going to say, question. beyond chickens, what can you do to encourage the kids to feel belong? <laughs> beyond, beyond the chickens, what <laughs> else can we do? I already have three chickens. <laughs> uh, do you, like the one problem is that uh, that I see with a lot of kids, including mine, sometimes, yeah. is that they find it hard to home onto something and, and find something that truly yeah. interests them. And yeah. I think that's where the mentor can also come in because the mentor can help them explore uh, their interests. Do you have a particular take on that or a method yeah, to extract? Definitely. Well, I remember uh, Mr. Perot back in year five he started up uh it was one of my year five teachers and he started up a guitar club at lunchtime and you know he didn't know much about guitar himself but he could show us how to play a few notes and a few chords and you know i still play guitar now and and isn't that the beauty of the you know a wide selection at school is you get to be able to experiment with a few things that you like and you know one or two things might stick with you for a long time um yeah so it's just a matter of of i mean as as an adult we don't See, we don't seek out new experiences. Sometimes we're actually quite afraid to be able to seek out new experiences because, you know, we don't want to look silly. We don't look, look like we don't know what we're doing. Uh, and then also we don't have the time to do so. Um, but a lot of the time, you know, when we're in, in primary school or high school, we've got that time. We're also fearless. So we're happy to be able to tackle something new without the fear of, you know, it, it not working. So you definitely... I think when you're an adult, uh, you call that a hobby, right? It's what interests you and you want to spend a lot of time with. But when you're a kid, you 
we don't quite refer to things that kids do as hobbies. Extracurricular activities. That's what we call it, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but maybe yeah. that's what we need to do is to, to help kids find their hobbies. Ah, interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But again, like you come, you come back to the STEM stuff and you've got so many things that are possible nowadays. And, you know, I was talking about Lego. Your Lego have got your, your Mindstorm stuff there where you can, you know, can dip your toe into a bit of coding and, you know, having some, a computer then control uh, an external device. And the kids, the, the, you know, the way their eyes light up when they see this sort of stuff. But then, I mean, it's not just limited there. You know, I love the idea that there's even simple apps that kids can use now that help them to be able to, um, you know, get interested in different ways of doing stuff. I was, again, in school this week and we were talking about this program which is called Poll Every Poll Everywhere. Well, we, we're allowed to mention other things, aren't we, like that? Is that we're not? We're not the ABC. Cross, <laughs> no, go for it. Yep. <laughs> so um, Poll Everywhere, you can take – we were doing data and you can, uh, with an iPad, you can ask questions and it comes up live on the – on the interactive whiteboard and these kids and their eyes were just like, whoa, this is awesome, you know? <laughs> but it, And that's what it's all about, isn't it? It's about making sure that we are opening them up to new experiences and preparing them for, you know, these things that are going to be thrown at them uh, more and more and more as they get out into that, that big wide world. Great. Tell us about cognitive willingness. That sounds interesting. <laughs> yeah, it's sort of, well, I think it's a take on lifelong learning. Um, you know, we talk about being lifelong learners, but it's sort of a, a step before that. It's the things that happen uh, that make us into lifelong learners. And I, you know, we've probably you've probably heard all the stories about Walt Disney and the Bronte sisters, and there's so many people who didn't get the benefit of a formal education or had a very very small amount of a formal education, who then went on to be able to create really cool stuff. Um, it's because sorry to interrupt you, Tim. It's because yeah. their creativity was not destroyed. <laughs> so Robinson says right you go, exactly I was going to say Ken Robinson you go in, into that definitely yeah he's spot on and, and and there's a lot in that and you know he's I love his work because he's doing some amazing things there with helping us to understand all that sort of stuff but it's possible it's possible for us and and as an educator, there's so many facets to it, but as an educator, you know, it's really our job to make sure that we don't stifle that that enthusiasm or that curiosity. And it's, it's so much fun to be able to watch, you know, a toddler to be able to explore their world. And, you know, they'll be fascinated by this a simple thing of watching ants, you know, walking from one place to the next. And they'll, they'll look at them and get right down. I remember when my son was three and four, he used to lie on the floor and get his Thomas the Tank Engine trains and just watch the wheels turn um, it, because it was just fascinating to him. It's probably, oh, it's probably actually only two. And everything is just such a curiosity and such a wonder. And uh, we unfortunately lose that as we go on. And as you say, it's that, that creativity and that sort of um, a fear of failure, I suppose, is what we, we do learn. And it, it ties into the next bit about the dialogue, but we'll get onto that in a minute. But yeah, it's just it's just being willing and being open to the idea that everything is a new opportunity. You don't have to be sitting in front of a textbook or you don't have to be studying for an exam in order for you to be able to put stuff up in the um, you know up in the kidney, yeah. up in the head. You know? yeah. I do find with textbooks. I remember my, myself when I was a student. Like I used to feel like when a class finishes, like the end of the season at school, and uh, I've gone and finished the last chapter of the prescribed textbook, at that point I felt like done. I've learned everything there is to learn about this topic. Let's move on to the next thing. So that's what the textbook did to me back then. Of course, when Google came around and Wikipedia and all that, and I realized that, hang on, there's a huge unexplored universe there, and the textbook was just the beginning. And I think that's something that you lose at school, especially if there are prescribed textbooks. And mm. there's no, I suppose, research projects that kids are assigned to do and let them move away from whatever is prescribed. Yeah, uh, and, yeah. Um, I think the more you, it's like food pretty much. When you have a beautiful meal, you feel like you want to have some more of it uh, or to explore new tastes. Um, taste does not become stale when you have a lot of opportunity to explore and a variety of tastes. And you can take that to learning and knowledge as well. 
give kids a variety of knowledge or topics to explore and that cognitive willingness will always be there. Definitely. And, and your area of STEM is just, it's just so ripe for it. I mean, there's so many good examples of people who've looked at the current reality and said, hey, this is no good. I want to do this better. Uh, you know, like the story of Airbnb, that they, you know, hotels weren't working for them. They weren't feeling like they were, you know, visiting a place. They were just sort of, so what do we do? We, oh, well, let's go and stay in places where, you know, I can a be local. A, a, a local. Exactly <laughs> right. And then, and then I love it because you work through a few of those issues and, and, you know, people are saying, but you don't know these people. You don't, you know, you're going to go and stay in their houses. But it's the same stepping in, into a taxi or stepping into, I mean, you step into, into an, a train or a plane and you don't even know if there's a pilot there that's going to get you there safely, but you still step into it <laughs> yes. happily without any questions whatsoever, you know. It's, it's a um, different risk assessment. Yeah, uh, it's exactly, not always exactly right. logical. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but we and we need these, you know, we need kids who are, you know, thinking about technology and thinking about new ways of doing stuff so that we can then move to a new reality like that. It's yeah. it's exciting. Great. Mm. So the fourth element was dialogue. Mm. So what dialogue, is yeah. dialogue? Is it dialogue. what we're doing I right talk now? About, yeah, I talk about the about dialogue being such an important uh, driving force because <laughs> Again, it's it's a ma- it's a matter of choosing simple words, but choosing them well. So, school picture a school assembly, and there's always someone who gets up who's a bit of the authoritarian who says your behaviour on the buses and your school uniform and the way that you you know leave the rubbish in the playground, and it becomes this tirade that goes on and goes on and goes on. And the the problem is is that the people who want who need to be hearing that the most are already switched off. And so it's a it's a simple way of changing things, which is just so easy, and it becomes inclusive. So it's just instead of you, it's us, or instead of um, you know students, it's it's we, it's our, it's it's this collective. So that the thing is, I I spoke to some students about this, and you know they were complaining that why do we have to have a uniform, and you know we should have it like American schools where we get to be able to come in whatever we want. And I said, well. That might be the case, but the thing is a lot of American kids spend 20 minutes or more every morning worrying about what they're wearing to school every day because, you know, whether they're going to fit in and what's going on there. But on top of that is that you guys actually are our biggest walking, talking billboards. And actually we really like it when you wear our uniform because you are showing off all the good stuff that's happening at our school. You are showing to the general public how things are rocking and rolling where we choose to work together. And you can see this. You can see all the, all the inclusive dialogue there. And when you change that simple way of thinking into, uh, well, there's a reason why, and it's because we're actually really proud of you and we actually like showing you off and we don't want to hide you away by making you, you know, a little bit anonymous. We want the world to see all the good stuff that we're doing here and the progress that we're making and the way that we make things rock and roll. So it's just, it's really simple little changes like that. So it's, it's things like instead of saying to a student, if you do this, if you succeed, it's then changing and saying when you succeed or when you do this. It's, it's that language of positivity and it's always setting those expectations, you know, really, very, very high. It's, um, it, it's like uh, – I'm not sure if you're familiar with Carol Dweck. It's when she says, yes. um, I yes, haven't made mindset. it yet. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. exactly. I, yeah. I always use yeah. the word yet. No, I didn't get nine. I didn't pass a test yet. I'm getting there, though. Yeah, this it's is not hard. It's just it's challenging. Yeah, great. Yeah, definitely. And, and that's a lot of it, exactly. Um, we've already spoken about investment. So uh, systems looks pretty up our alley. I think it's an information system mm-hmm. thing, but I don't think that's what you mean, right? <laughs> what do you mean by systems, which is engagement element well, six? No, because your systems, your systems are the fun stuff. You're the, you know, where you get to be able to get hands on and be able to do some exciting stuff and yeah. really see things move. Uh, the systems is, is that I'm talking about is the sort of the, the boring side of stuff. And it's the stuff that you only realize is not there when you absolutely need it. <laughs> So it's things like, uh, okay, so a STEM example. You go to the computer room, you've got this lesson that you've been planning out for, you know, till late the night before, and you're really pumped about it because the kids are going to really enjoy it. They're going to get a lot out of it. And you go to the computer room and then there's, you know, six computers that the keyboards aren't connected and there's another two that the power cords are missing and there's another one that the mouse doesn't work. 
And so instead of this amazing lesson that you've got, you spend the first you know 15 minutes seeing which computers turn on and then which have got their you know, proper operating systems that are updated. It's that sort of stuff. So Isn't the right system, <laughs> you know, if the system, the right system's in place, then it's not. But, <laughs> so, but yeah, it, unfortunately, sometimes it can be. Are, are these <laughs> so, personal systems or are they team systems? Sorry, say again? Are these personal systems or more for the school as a whole, as a team? It's it, it's a little bit of both. It's, it's a little bit of both. So things like um, making sure that, you look in in yourself. I know that I'm better off when I've got myself prepped, you know, pretty much the night before. And so that's a system that I've got to go through to make sure that I got an idea of what I'm doing tomorrow. You know, uh, what time I need to be out of the house, what sort of resource I'm going to need, all that sort of stuff too. But for a school, where I'm talking about the sort of the bigger systems, so things like um, your your welfare system. Oh, I don't like saying discipline because I think the discipline is um, – I, I, I don't know how much we have the right to be able to discipline. The dialogue. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, yeah, it's that sort of stuff. So that you, a teacher can spend their time teaching and they can spend their time investing and they can spend their time in a positive dialogue rather than having to run around and filling out variation of two routine forms and rather than having to – you know, do all the, the sort of admin stuff that slows down all that exciting stuff that happens. Hmm. So I get it that you're not really fond of record keeping and data entry. Definitely. <laughs> no, it's absolutely necessary. Yes. Totally, totally, totally necessary. But I'm not, not this doubling up and having Make to take, you know. Yeah. yeah, exactly right. Yeah. And how do you convince other teachers and other admin to partake in your systems? How do you get well, them engaged? It, it's, it's actually not too hard. When you use that example, every teacher I think has had that idea of when they've gone to the computer room and then there's, you know, computers aren't working or they go to pick up, you know, the class set of iPads that they've booked and they're not charged or, you know, I think teachers can, they live it. And so it's very easy to be able to convince them that, you know, there's better ways to be able to do stuff. And then, uh, I mean, it goes another step too. It's making sure that you're not using systems that are superfluous, that stuff that doesn't need to be there. Because, again, that takes out time out of a teacher's day, which is, you know, time they should be using at the coalface. Mm-hmm. So we've got aesthetics, belonging, cognitive willingness, dialogue, investment, and systems. So how do you bring it all together? <laughs> well, it's that force multiplier that I was talking about before. Um, let me try and think of another example. Let me uh, – okay, so, again, I was at uh, high school and we needed a bit of something for the Year 9 boys to do because Year 9 – uh, in some schools can be that time when they really become a little bit sort of not sure where things are going. There's no such thing as, you know, school certificate anymore. So there's it's a bit of a, a difficult time because they're trying to figure out where they fit within the world. Puberty's kicking in, hormones are taking over. It's really quite a tough time. And so we put together a, a mentoring program like what we were talking about before. And we decided to be able to create uh, sort of an, an indigenous bush tucker garden and it involved building eight quite large um, garden beds and then consulting with the um, some of the Aboriginal elders in the area and getting the, the plants and and then also then putting together then some teaching tools. So, for instance, a maths class could go out there and calculate if we took this many sleepers to build this garden bed and this garden bed measured this by that and, you know, how much soil was needed and then the soil costs X amount of dollars per square or per cubic metre and, um, you know, what was the budget and that sort of stuff. So then as well as these the boys building this garden, which gave them that sense of belonging, the school was investing a little bit of money, but they were investing a bit of themselves as well. The teachers were there, you know, cutting the wood and digging the holes and, you know, putting all this – together themselves part of the team right yeah exactly yeah the aesthetic environment was in was improved because this was just sort of a, a dull part of the playground and it was a really quite a, a, a nice sort of a uh, a moment because truth of the matter it, when we first started we thought mm, are the kids gonna you know respect the space but because it was their um their sweat that went into it this was quite a revered part of the playground and if anybody was you know, even sort of the hint of, you know, going to leave some rubbish there, they were really quickly, you know, pulled up on it and, because it was their space, that, their space that they're happy to share. But 
a space that then other students would go to and use, whether they were talking about some sort of, you know, understanding of the Indigenous culture or whether they were talking about a mathematics problem or different things like that. So when you can come up with these things that, that, that work, you know, many of these at the same time, you go to a pretty magic spot. And you can see in your example the opportunities to learn there like obviously the aesthetics, belonging, etc., all that is there, but also a lot of opportunities to learn from the elders, from textbooks, from mathematics, uh, from soil science, the person chemistry, the cognitive willingness must have been out of the roof there with uh, kids yeah, just definitely. constantly asking questions. Definitely. And, and the coolest part about that was then the garden was then the centre point for about 20-odd schools. So there was five high schools and I think about 16-odd uh, primary schools who did a what they called it a belonging day where the Aboriginal students came and did a day at the school where they, they learnt, uh, you know, some traditional uh, customs and they learnt some ideas that a lot of their family didn't know about because, you know, that culture was removed away from them, as we know. And so it was really quite nice for these kids. Now, the thing is too, not, not many of those kids who built the garden, there was, again, there was about 20-odd of them who built it, but I think only about two of them were actually of Aboriginal background. And these kids were from a whole variety of, you know, there was a lot of uh, Lebanese kids. There were some Pacific Islanders. It was really quite lovely for them then to host 120 students from all these schools in their garden. And, you know, they then ate some traditional foods and it was really quite nice. <laughs> Belonging. <laughs> That's awesome. Thank you for the story, Tim. It was really uh, it was a really good story to put everything together. It makes good sense. I had to rack my so, brain there for a minute. <laughs> yeah, no, it's okay. It's okay. You did well. Uh, it was good. So now uh, we are going to move into part three, which is rapid fire questions. So our <laughs> questions will be rapid. Yours <laughs> don't feel like you have to answer in a few minutes. Seconds. You can have short answers, you can have long answers. Is there a record? I, if there's a PB that I can beat, I'll, I'll do my best. There is no record. <laughs> At least that's a good idea. Maybe we yes. should start keeping a record. Yeah, why not? <laughs> so that's here's the first one. What's your favourite book relating to education? Oh, oh, favourite book to oh, uh, teach like a pirate. Oh, I like that. Okay, thank you, Marcus. Who has been the most influential in shaping the way you teach? Oh, uh, oh wow, that's tough. Uh, I've got uh, so many mentors, but I would probably uh, put up there Don uh, Don Northey. It was an amazing uh, deputy principal that I was lucky to work with, and yeah, Don Northey would have to be stand out. Uh, could you spell his name so we can look him up? N N O R T H E Y. Okay, got it. Yeah, I actually acknowledge him in my book uh, because, oh, yeah, totally, okay. uh, total gentleman and consummate professional. I want to acknowledge people like that. Um, what app can you not live without? I was talking about a uh, computer or a smartphone app that helps okay. you be a better teacher somehow. Helps me be a better teacher. Oh, I think it's just safari isn't it you know like uh, kids ask a curly question and you can say <laughs> i don't know the answer but you know we're going to find a reliable source that will give us the answer uh, very good great the browser what advice would you give to educators just starting out could that uh, advice be six points jump, jump in J absolutely jump in it is it is perhaps the toughest profession ever ever going around uh but at the same time the most rewarding uh jump in and don't be afraid to um, put a piece of you into everything that you do. Great. Awesome. What's your programming language of choice? <laughs> do you do oh, any programming? Uh, you know, see, I'm, I went to school in the time when we used to program in BASIC, and I, I, did, I programmed Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle coming out of, <laughs> coming out of a, a, um, a sewer drain with the music in the background in BASIC. That's wow. amazing. That's pretty good. Do you still have that? <laughs> I have no idea where it is, but that, I, awesome. that was great. Yeah. Marcus? Any parting thoughts for our listeners? Do's, don'ts, lookouts? Um, yeah, well, look, I mean, the thing is, I'm so excited. I have no experience in the whole world of STEM, but I think it's the massive part of our, our lives that are going to make the biggest difference. You know, there's so many things that are going to come out of the idea of pushing you know, science and engineering and mathematics 
And there's so many answers that we need, you know, whether it's a cure for cancer or the common cold or whether it's a better way to be able to commute or whether it's to be able to rely less on fossil fuels. I think that STEM is just such an amazingly uh, exciting and a really, uh, you know, innovation is what we're going to need in order for us to be able to continue to evolve as humans. So, I mean, go, go STEM teachers, you know, <laughs> let's, let's really change the world because, you know what, we, we think that we have it all and we know the answers, but we're so far from it. Um, yeah. Great. Awesome. Thanks, Tim. So um, just to conclude, if people want to, want to get in touch with you, um, ask you a question perhaps, uh, and also know that you run workshops where you go through your strategies uh, to inspire and motivate students, uh, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you or to find can, more about you? Yeah, well, so they can gr- jump on my website, which is studentengagement.com.au. They can throw me an email quite easily, tim at studentengagement.com.au, or I can even take phone calls. My number is easy. It's 04 students. Quite easy to remember. (laughs) (laughs) Even I can remember that. (laughs) That's awesome. Great. So, and you run your workshops regularly, don't you? Yeah. Uh, Throughout the year? um, Yeah, I've got got workshops happening and in a whole range of different topics because what I – what I'm really passionate about is looking after teachers as well, because I think that teachers who are, they, they feel rested and they feel empowered. I think that they provide so much more um, quality than those who are wrung out and, you know, ready to be able to throw the towel in. So I also, as well as student engagement workshops, I also do workshops, which is just basic looking after you. Teachers uh, often put themselves last. And so sometimes it's uh, as easy as, encouraging them to be able to look after themselves, put on their oxygen mask first before they put it on the child next to them, you know, so to speak. So, but yeah, there's regular workshops. They can always find them on the website, studentengagement.com.au. And um, yeah, it's all over Australia at the moment, which is really quite exciting. Awesome. Well, thanks, Tim, for your time. It's been really, really great. And we'll have to have you on the podcast again. I really enjoyed that. It's fantastic. My pleasure. Thanks, Marcus. Thanks, Peter, for having me. Thank you, Tim. Bye for now. That's all for this episode. If you have any questions or suggestions, please send them to our email address, questions at stemiverse.com, and we'd be happy to answer them. Do you want us to interview someone in particular? Let us know. Visit us at stemiverse.com to get the show notes of every episode. And subscribe on iTunes by searching for the name of our podcast, Stemiverse, that is S-T-E-M-I-V-E-R-S-E. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.